You're listening to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where we explore the magical and mystical and where they intersect with the wide world of mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a pagan creative arts therapist. And I'm Callie Little, a pagan emotional support witch and artist. We invite you to listen, connect, and deepen your relationship's magic. And to yourself. We're the coven in your pocket. (laughs) Hello, everybody. We're so excited to be back. It's been a long time. We know it's been since September with our beautiful Sacred Slut episode, and you have been overwhelmingly patient with us creating new content. Uh, We're going to get into all the reasons why, but right now we're just really excited to talk to you about the sacred aloneness. It's kind of the other side of the sacred slut, and this was Amber's idea, so I actually don't know that much about what you want to talk about, my dear beloved cousin. (laughs) Yes, hello, hello, we are back. I felt like a solitude episode would be a nice way to follow up the slut episode. And as the seasons began to change out here in the forest, my solitude hermit self kind of woke up and wanted to talk about this topic. I also feel like this topic is incredibly vital to mental health and witchcraft, and that's what the fuck our podcast is about. There's so much wrapped up in being alone. I think that loneliness Mm -hmm. and solitude are different things, Mm -hmm. for sure. But when I say solitude, like what what comes to mind for you? When you say solitude, what comes to mind for me, truly the first thing is the hermit card. Mm -hmm. The second thing is a visual image of like an archway of trees, just like trees in the forest, soothing sounds, water, birds. Being alone in the woods, I think, is what comes to mind with solitude. Yeah. 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 What about you? Um, Solitude feels like a color and a texture and an emotion to me. It feels very different than being alone in a lonely way. It feels very full as if I'm joined by many, many parts of myself and they are all present. I do have to be alone in order to achieve solitude that has to be there. In thinking about this episode, I was asking myself the question, how, how is this topic potent? How is this um, going to be supportive to our listeners? And I thought about actually you quoting Rilke in the slut episode. And I found the quote that you were referencing. And so I'm going to read it now because I think this is really potent. It's, it's a thing that has to be, I believe, addressed and embraced in order to talk about solitude. Rilke says, And to speak of solitude again, it becomes clearer and clearer that fundamentally this is nothing that one can choose or refrain from. We are solitary. We can delude ourselves about this and act as if it were not true. That is all. But how much better it is to recognize that we are alone. Yes, even to begin from this realization, we must accept our reality as vastly as we possibly can. Everything, even the unprecedented, must be possible within it. This is, in the end, the only kind of courage that is required of us, the courage to face the strangest, most unusual, most inexplicable experience that can meet us, which is just us, Hmm. just meeting ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know what more therapy or magic accomplishes than meeting ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think that both therapy and magic are about allowing ourselves to kind of rise up past all the murk of being a human being and get to a point where we can where we can see more clearly our connection to all the other things around us. You know, when we're under that cloud of bullshit, it's so hard to see past that. And when we clear that, what is the word that I want here? The kind of infestation of the mundane 
struggles of being alive. Where we get to a place where we can actually be reunited with our truest selves so that we can be reunited with the collective self. I think that's the the real magic of all of these things, of magic and therapy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then that relates to our ability to be in relationship with other people. We can only go as far out as we have gone as far in. We can only meet the other as deeply as we have met ourselves. So I see in my practice as a clinician and just, you know, in social scenes and in popular media, uh, social media particularly, this like, is it all about focusing on yourself or is it all about focusing on on the community? Like, is it is it okay to focus on yourself and how do you focus on yourself and focus on your your others? And most of us struggle with the balance between staying individuated ourselves and then also being in relationality with other people and toggling between those two, what can be extremes. Like I'm really, really enmeshed in my family system and now I'm completely alone. Um, those can be places of activation for, for all of us. And and I feel like to to try to pick one as more vital or potent than the other is not the thing to do because the ability to like, again, like the ability to meet the self is the ability to meet the other. We also meet the self in mm-hmm. our meeting of the other. I don't think that those things can be really separated, but I think that we can uh, bring ourselves into alignment by noticing where we are meeting ourselves and then where we are meeting others. Many people feel very avoidant to the idea of solitude. They don't want to be left alone. It's scary for them. And that's really valid. We meet ourselves when we're alone. And I think it is a trait of people who struggle with codependency or people-pleasing to attach and track the needs and feelings of other people all the time, so much so that they can't feel their own feelings. I know that's been true of me in my life. It still is. I still have to like kind of work on it. Um, but the more that I think we learn to tolerate, at first just tolerate being alone. Eventually it is something that I think can be a place of great peace and great comfort and a place of fruitful magic. Yeah, I agree. I think most of, I'm I'm only going to say most, most of the most intense magic I do is on my own. I would say the other small percentage is when you and I are doing really spells for each other, you and I have Mm -hmm. each done some magical working in tandem in co-creation and for one another. And the level to which I can ask you for support in that way is so deeply vulnerable and in a way that I would simply not ask other people for Mm -hmm. and that in itself like the vulnerability is such an intensely potent part of the magic so it's not like we can't have that in relationship Mm -hmm. but it is rare and it isn't like that part of our relationship doesn't define my relationship to my magic that is simply an extension Mm -hmm. of me embodying myself and you embodying yourself and we do get to meet there. So I think it's a actually a really fantastic example of what you're talking about where you know if you and I weren't solitary on our own paths coming together in that way wouldn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. We can't just seek out connection with other people. We have to seek out first and foremost ourselves so that we can take those roads to one another. So Individuation, of course, is a very necessary part, but it's one step on the path to connecting with the other slash the whole self. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Those things are inextricably linked. I always have a really hard time with that word, but I think... I love how you said it. Inextricably linked. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really proud of my voice. (laughs) Well, since we sound identical, you know, uh, I'll I'll take the compliment. People are always saying when they first start listening, they're like, "Your voices are exactly the same." And listen, I thought the same thing the first time I heard an episode. I thought, "Damn, our voices are really similar." But you keep listening, and you'll pick you'll pick it up. Exactly. Yeah, we actually. 
I think, speak quite differently. But but I get it. We have such a, a mind cousin melding that happens. It's the genetics. We're a two-headed, fat-ass bitch who's just making, <laughs> making a podcast. We are the two wolves inside of you. You better feed us both. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, would you like to pull a card for us? That's a really nice idea. Yeah, let's let's pull a Threads of Fate card on the topic of solitude and being alone. Which, you know, as I shuffle, like, isn't that the path of the witch? The path of the witch is a pretty solitary sort of path. Although in my research for the episode, which was minimal, I feel like I had enough inside of my brain to speak on it. Um, I saw like the the infighting between like the neo pagans and the Wiccans who who think that solitary practice is essentially lazy and inauthentic, and that real witchcraft happens in covens. and And I I agree in some ways. Like I don't agree that of the assessment of solitary practitioners, but I believe that there is immense magic available in coven work and in the interconnection between a group of people in a circle. Oh my God, those have been some of the most powerful places in my life. Of course. But again, like we were talking about earlier, why does there have to be an overemphasis on one or the other? Both are important. We have to have the self, we have to have the other and the collective. Like we don't get to just... It's a, it has to be a balance. It cannot be one or the other. Yes. Okay. And the card has revealed itself by falling on the floor. That's the best way to reveal one. Oh my God. Look, it says Underworlds. Oh. Oh my God. What is that? What is that in the traditional tarot? Uh, I don't know. I don't think that this deck has correspondences to a tarot deck. It's just an oracle deck. Oh, it's an oracle deck. It's an oracle deck. Mm -hmm. The Underworld. Mm -hmm. So these two hands are outstretched with the threads of fate dripping off of them. And it looks like a sunbeam in the background. And it says, Underworld. They're also bound together by thorns. Yeah, they are. Well, you know what? This is a great segue into the other quote that I brought. Beautiful. Hit me. This is by Starhawk, grandmother, mother. But the final price of freedom is the willingness to face the most frightening of all beings, one's own self. Starlight vision, the other way of knowing, is the mode of perception of the unconscious. Underworld rather than the conscious mind. The depths of our own being are not all sunlit. To see clearly, we must be willing to dive into the dark inner abyss and acknowledge the creatures we find there. So true, Starhawk. I know. I feel like that underworld essence is a lot of what we're talking about here with solitude practice. I know that when I think of the underworld, I think of Hades which, you know, we can call a lot of things. We can call the the king of the underworld. We could call the devil or Lucifer. And in the traditional tarot, the devil is an aspect of the self that keeps us bound by expectation and pressure. It is a form of bondage. So... I don't know. I feel like that's touched on in that Starhawk quote. And also, you know, when we look at the devil card, it is the lovers, but with deep restriction and shame. There's, you know, this this sense of depravity that isn't pictured in the lovers, which is all about the unification of the self. It's about seeing ourselves in others, seeing ourselves within ourselves, a kind of divine connection. We can't really have that if we're shackled to shame and these kind of oppressive forms of thinking. It's um, potent to hear you say shame because I think that shame is very present when we are alone with ourselves and we cannot be distracted by being good for others. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, well, that's so much of where codependence comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Is really needing another person to either need us, want us, or like us so that we have value because we're not giving ourselves the value that we need. Right. It's the need to be needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The underworld. Yeah. That's so perfect for the sacred slut of self. 
How to Fuck Yourself. <laughs> uh, not a masturbation yeah. episode, just an episode about spiritual, erotic, being with But listen, yourself. it's always not not a masturbation episode. You know, my therapist, when I was still seeing them, um, <clears throat> they said at one point in our time together, we're always just fucking ourselves. Let's be really clear about this. <laughs> you know? I love that. Our projections on other people uh, say a lot about who we are. I mean, again, this is why I think self and other are, are you know, really can't be separated. What I love in you, Callie, are things that I love or want in myself. That's generally true. The things that I might struggle with in our relationship or any other, likely I struggle with those things within myself and those are objects within myself that I reject. And when we're in solitude, when we are spending time with ourselves, we really get to hear all the voices that are there and all the insecurities that are there and the ruminations and everything is available for us. And like Starhawk is saying, it's not all full of sunlight. There are many gifts in the shadow and in the underworld too. It's not all bad shit. And that's something that I really like to emphasize when we're talking about shadow or underworld is that many beautiful and vibrant parts of ourselves are fractioned away into hidden places because they're not safe. But everything, everything is available. And I heard Amanda Yates Garcia recently say about ritual that it's a way of us being able to hold just what is so infinite. There's so much. Something I've learned about solitude practice is that being with the subtle is actually being with an incredible amount of sensation and an incredible amount of emotion. There's so much. Solitude when I was younger felt like just sitting in an empty room being punished and removed from all the feelings that that were good for me. And now it just feels like there's so much there that I sometimes don't want to leave a space of solitude and see anyone else because I'm too busy grabbing my lantern like the hermit and like looking around this like completely uncharted area. I have a question for you that's a little bit of a shift, but building off of this subject. So when we're living the hermit card, I feel like that's what this whole episode is about, the sacred aloneness and everything. Mm, Love it. Um, When we're living as the hermit and we're doing these like inner journeys and we're tending to the the winter, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. of the outside and the soul, at what point does it change from being helpful and building of the self and restorative to narcissism? Oh, God. I guess, I don't know. Say more. Well, I'm thinking of the general obsession that we have with, you know, I'm a this Myers-Briggs personality. Mm -hmm. I'm this specific type of person. I identify as a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. Like all of the ways that we're constantly kind of defining ourselves and individualizing um, I feel like the intention behind things like that are so that we can connect more deeply with people. But I mm-hmm. feel like the practice of that can often actually create more self-obsession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you have thoughts? Oh, I definitely have thoughts. I've been, I feel like I've been watching this for a long time and just not saying anything about it. Um, because I can see the value in knowing like what you are diagnostically, clinically, socially, sexually, anecdotally, anecdotally, you know, all the different categories that you belong in. This is just my opinion. My opinion is that those are all processes of individuation and we do need to individuate across the lifespan. And at the same time, like the, this is me, is, is just a phase in spiritual growth or in the growth of the self. I think they're the same thing. And so I think a lot of people get stuck right there. This is me. 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 And they're not able to hold space for other people being different or thinking differently. It's like a lot of infighting in the left, for example. There's just so much of just like queers and validating queers and and all of these people who have so much more in common with each other than the power structures that oppress them. 
just sort of fighting over who is the most legit or authentic by, by announcing like, this is me, this is me. And it works against its own goals. And I think that it becomes narcissistic when we lose the ability to have compassion or empathy for other people, or when it's precluding us from connecting to other people. And that's different than pathological narcissism, which is a diagnosis. It's a personality disorder, if you believe in personality disorders, which I don't know how I feel about them, but in the DSM, it's diagnosable and you can get reimbursed through insurance for being too narcissistic. It's almost like a pathology where you just can't really feel empathy. It's like psychopathy because being a, a, a um, I was going to say a socialist, that's not true. A, um, <laughs> I am a socialist. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not narcissist, not psychopath. Uh, Sagittarius. Sagittarius. <laughs> A sociopath, um, I, I hear, <laughs> which is not different than a Sagittarius, um, as a Sagittarius, I can say. Uh, the sociopath isn't a diagnosis, and people will throw that around a lot, like a diagnosed sociopath. I'm like, that's not a diagnosis. Uh, sociopath is a fucking BuzzFeed quiz that your 15-year-old boyfriend took, okay? <laughs> it is. So, I mean, where where people go from self-work to narcissism, I don't know, man. That just depends on the person and depends on what they're showing us. But to me, it's like when we really cannot connect and cannot relate to other people and and it's not actually helping us when people are disconnected, they're not very regulated. This like overemphasis on just like me, me, me and my, my, my means that you're not having quality of relationship with the other. And, and that means you're not facing the part of yourself that comes alive when faced with the other. There are parts of us that only come alive in relationship. I'm meeting parts of myself in relationship now that I'm like, wow, whoa, look at those ego wounds I didn't know I fucking had because I have grown to be very autonomous and not share my feelings with people so they don't see it. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Over, what is it? Uh, I mean, just overly developed individuation does get really reactive around other people. And I say that as an overly individuated person. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I both want and fear ego death. I, mm, I, know well, the, normal. I know the freedom that is available when you transcend your individuated self or your sense of identity. There is so much freedom there. But like, like you have said, you have to pick something up first before you put it down. And so I see the necessary step of figuring out who you are on every level you need to be. I am a neurodivergent queer with CPTSD, right? Um, we're differently neurodivergent, but I think that's true of both of us. That's also not who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, yes. who I am is ineffable and indescribable. And that actually, yeah. for me, makes me feel better. No, I think, yeah, it, I, this whole conversation is reminding me of like being young. And I think because I have, you know, ha- I've happened to be autistic my whole fucking life. Um, OG. And, uh, but I didn't know that, of course. Most you know, socialized female people just never found out until they turned 30 and were like, what is going on? Um, I have never been, uh, hmm, resistant to the idea that I don't know all the things about myself or that I might be more than I am aware of. Like as a child, I remember, (laughs) you know, growing up Southern Baptist and somebody said, ugh, could you ever be a lesbian? And I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe if I fell in love with a girl, yeah. I don't know. I'm fucking 12. Like, how would I know? And the idea that I could, first of all, know my future baffled me. I was like, what the fuck? How would I know what I'm going to feel when I meet people? And then, you know, living out my life and seeing people be like, oh, I am this thing, especially as a teenager, I'm gay. And like the kids that were like, you know, just dressing head to toe rainbow, like having to take on that whole personality. That's a really normal developmental experience of like, I see this thing in myself and I'm going to make my whole self about that. I've never um, experienced that really 
that I can think of, definitely in smaller ways. But I feel like it's kind of what we're talking about here with like, I'm personally, I'm a Virgo. Everything in my life is because I'm a Virgo and I basically am just a Virgo. Like in some ways, maybe that's helpful for me identifying patterns and ways that I can think about myself. But if I reduce myself to just that, well, then I'm ignoring my Capricorn rising and she's the real star. So, you know, there are just so many parts of who we are. And it's not that it's wrong to get really excited and identify with these new discoveries. But I think it's really important to remember that celebrating that is like the chariot card. You know, it's a momentary kind of surface level experience of joy and celebration. And we still have to go through the whole, you know, underworld and then get back to the world card at the end so we can be the fool again. You can tell I've been working on my tarot book. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. It was actually tarot was what I was thinking of when you asked this question initially is if you use the tarot grid system, the first line of the tarot is about individuation. There's like a lot of cards after that. There's so much. The second line is about the dismantling and the third line is about the the integration of the both and of the individuated and, you know, shadow self and all of that. And and also it's like, I think it makes sense developmentally that you at 33 and me at 40 are less interested in that because yeah. that's developmentally appropriate for our lifespan. And there's a lot to learn right. from developmental psychology. I think it helps us see people where they're at. At least it helps me and just let them be there. Like you're 22. Yeah. Go ahead and individuate all you need to. Also, it's not uncommon for people in midlife to individuate. I'm individuating too. It's just very, very different than when I was a younger person. And I do see a lot of people feeling like the individuation process in and of itself is enlightenment because they truly understand themselves and they're not yet seeking to understand the other. There's no healing available unless we look at the other. If we stay individuated, I actually think it's going to make things worse. We need to be able to like continue to grow. Our stewardship and connection to each other and relatedness to each other, I think, is far more important than identity categories. And I would rather build bridges with people who disagree with me or people who identify differently with me and have a stronger community than like stay on Amber Island feeling really good about my outfit or whatever. <laughs> like, I love Amber Island though. It's Amber Island is <laughs> it's the place I get to vacation where this like older sister figure who is literally Amber brings me coffee and calls me really sweet names and says, "Do you want to go to the beach? Do you want to go get some french fries? Do you want to <laughs> walk the dogs?" It's just the most soothing island, but Wow, the emotions that come over me when you say, like, I'd rather build bridges with people who I disagree with. I I felt repulsion (laughs) first. Like, oh, no, I don't want that. And then, like, really deep compassion and sweetness Mm -hmm. at the same fucking time. Um, I think that the best version of myself really loves that ideal. Mm -hmm. I think my really human, really fucked up, traumatized parts are like, absolutely not. Sure. Totally. And I'm also aware that that is a really temporary thing for me. That comes up when I've been through a period of hurt Mm -hmm. and it does subside and I get back to that more like capable (laughs) and open hearted person. So I don't know. I think while it's important that we're aware of who we are in any given moment, it's also really important for us to remember that any given moment is just one second of this lifelong process of this unfolding being that we are and are becoming. And also that we're just one little teeny, tiny, tiny piece of a huge puzzle. Um, and that piece on its own is like fucking nothing, really. Yeah. We're we're important individually, yes, but we are all part of this bigger thing, and mm-hmm. we can't ignore that big thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's 
I, I just keep thinking of this song throughout our conversation today. Um, and <laughs> this comes from my 19-year-old self. So the folk punk era of the early 2000s, um, the musician Paul Barabo has a song. And in it, he says, I'm learning how to be alone without being lonely, learning how to be lonely without losing my mind. Mm. And fuck if those aren't some big ass lessons. Yeah. There's, there's also from the same period of time, I guess it was a moment in my teenage years. There's this video on YouTube that has just so many views and it's a, it's not a spoken word poem, but it's a poem that is read aloud. How to be alone. Yes. Yeah, dude. It's beautiful. It is. I remember really having to curate that set of skills and loving, loving those moments, you know, learning how to view solitude and being alone as this really sacred experience. And now when I was just having this conversation with a tattoo client the other day, they were telling me that they have a hard time with solo travel. And they were like, what do you like about it? Because I I talk a lot about how much I enjoy traveling alone. And I said, I love that feeling of being in an airport in a city I've never been to and knowing that there are hundreds, if not thousands of miles between me and anyone who knows me. And it's not that I don't want to be close to the people I love or that I want to run away from them. It's that that is such a rare moment and it is entirely without the pressure to perform. It is without expectation from anyone but myself. Like I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about the sense of freedom that comes with being so far away from expectation. And we really don't have that in the modern world. We have our phones constantly buzzing. Even if it's just like news updates, there's this demand for our attention. And especially if we are like you and I are social media users and social people who have texts coming in and calls and voicemails and emails we need to answer, especially for work. There's so much demand on us. What if instead of viewing solitude, as abandonment and being forced to be with the monster that is who we are, we can view it as a really temporary, because it will be, a temporary escape from everything. Mm -hmm. How magical. Absolutely. No, I love that. I was feeling that vicariously for you because really the the safest places I've ever found in my life have been, oh, I'm going to, am I going to cry? Jesus Christ. Um, (laughs) Have been with just with myself. And I think that... I know that one of the most healing things for survivors of developmental trauma is learning that we are actually able to meet our own needs and that we don't actually have to rely on our loved ones to do that. And I want to be very careful to not imply that my guidance here is that one ought to never rely on your loved ones for help. That's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, some of our guidance around accessing alone time is asking your loved ones for help to guard your solitude so that you can access it. I'm more speaking to the parts of us that can feel helpless and feel like they can't meet their own needs. I have very helpless parts who will think that grocery shopping is too hard. And sometimes grocery shopping is too fucking hard. Sometimes that is true. But most of the time, at least for me, it's actually not that hard. I just don't want to. I feel helpless. I feel like I can't take care of myself, for lack of better words, and learning that I can take care of myself, that has been a place of peace. And that's only accessible because there are times when I will ask myself, to be honest, like, do I really need someone to help me with this task? Or is that something that I can actually do myself? And something that if I do myself, I will actually feel better about myself because I will feel like competent. That has been the softest, warmest, most loving place I've ever known in my mind where I will make sure that I will feel good. And that took years and years and years of figuring out what felt good. And I think that's part of what is so difficult about being alone if we all of a sudden find ourselves in the position to be with just ourselves is we have to get to know ourselves yeah, and learn. Many times I will just kind of collapse on the couch and not know what to do with myself and 
that's normal. And now that I have basically a menu of different options, are we going to go to the beach today and are we going to look for moon snail shells? Or maybe we could go get some coffee. (laughs) I am giggling because literally like that's CBT. (laughs) It is. It is. We were talking about that in the Patreon content. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Behavioral therapy, very helpful for people who have done a lot of trauma work and can hold their behavioral modifications with compassion and love. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually doing something, uh, on behalf of the parts of you that are hurting the most, that they begin to trust you as a caretaker. My parts, when they're confused about who is taking care of us, they will want to be codependent with the other because they're very concerned that our needs won't get met. So when I kind of shift my focus back to myself by having alone time, essentially, I can feel my parts kind of, um, my child parts especially, sort of reorganize and be like, oh, you. And they kind of look at me and they ask me for things and they stop asking my loved ones for things um, or asking me to ask my loved ones for things. It makes me feel safe in my world to operate and to move through different experiences that might have felt riskier when I was young because I feel like I've been returned to myself in many ways. But again, it's a life's work and it's a constant refocusing. It's not a destination you arrive to and then you're good. I have to employ this every day and I can't every day and I slip every day in my ability to meet my own needs. We know that actual children and their parents are going to have, you know, lapses in judgment. Parents are going to make mistakes that's okay for us reparenting ourselves too. You're going to make mistakes. It's not about the fact that you are making any errors. It's about you continuing to show up even after that. And, you know, I I spoke earlier. I don't know what will end up in this episode or the Patreon content, but I was talking about how I'm in a period of depression, which is showing up so much more as an energy thing than a mood. I'm not particularly sad. I'm just not really feeling like doing anything. And part of the work that I need to do right now isn't um, the same as it is when I'm feeling really good. Right now, I have to think about the fact that I'm capable of picking myself up. I'm capable of meeting my own needs. And I get to choose how I'm doing that each day in little ways that are going to be different than when I'm operating at full capacity. I, a lot of the time with my clients, I talk about how, you know, when you have an injury, a wound, you're going to treat that differently than you would just treat regular skin. And it's the same way with your mental health. When you're having this, you know, momentary loss of full health, you do have to baby it a little bit. And also you have to know when it's healed enough that you're not doing that. You don't use the crutch longer than you need it because otherwise you'll atrophy, right? So while I might be taking more time to lay in my bed (laughs) right now, I do have to know that I'm responsible for getting myself out of that bed. Not in a shaming way, not in a like depression is your choice kind of way because it's not. It's more like, just maintaining an awareness of what faculties I have and then utilizing them when they come back online, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I, I totally see that. And that's a loving and compassionate way to hold yourself, which I think helps us get into momentum faster than if we were shaming ourselves for what was happening. And I also feel like in this conversation, it's important to acknowledge that there are people for whom alone time is not an option. Yeah. I definitely work with you know busy parents, uh, people who have many commitments in their life that preclude alone time. And I get that. And also it's been my experience overwhelmingly that folks who report that they don't have any option of alone time, when we start working with that, we find that they do. There are places where they could be claiming solitude and they are staying busy or they are choosing to overcommit themselves in certain areas. And then I just ask people to be really curious about why they're doing that. And honest. And honest, unscrupulously honest with yourself about why you are filling all of your plate with doing things for other people. 
Mm-hmm. What is that doing for you? Um, what is that protecting you from? What happens when you're alone, when you're just with yourself? Most folks who struggle with being alone report to me that they find being in solitude treacherous because it's like mm-hmm. all the feelings that haven't been dealt with or haven't been seen rush back in like a wave. And mm-hmm. so it almost feels to me like for some people it fractures their trust that being alone can feel safe or feel good. Mm. It's just a place of distress. It's mm. scary to be there for a lot of folks. So for the the people who are like, no, truly, I really don't have any fucking solitude. Like, really, I'm not overcommitted. This is just my this is just my life. These are my material conditions. What would you say to someone like that who was like, I really want more alone time for my spiritual practice maybe. I really want to be able to sit with my tarot deck and just feel, but I can't, but I can't. Like, what would you say? You're not asking me rhetorically. You're asking me literally. Um, Yeah, yeah. It Okay, so this is where I would tell a client, I'm going to sound a little bit like mean mommy, (laughs) but it's not mean. What I'm going to say is, instead of saying, I don't have time, you have to say, I'm not making time, because that is that is what's true. We all have exactly the same amount of time. Now, that is not to say we all have the same privileges. People who have children, people who have to work either a lot in order to just scrape by or a lot in order to have really fantastical lifestyles, those are two really different scenarios, but they still require a ton of energetic output. All of these things play into privilege and we all have routes of assistance, whether that is through loved ones or the fucking government, (laughs) probably not that, but sometimes there are ways that we can get help. If you truly do not have your needs being met in very serious ways, you're going to have to figure out how to ask for help. And that can be so challenging. And I would say alone time is a basic need. Absolutely. You're going to go bananas without alone time. Absolutely. Yes. Like that is necessary. (laughs) When we don't have our resources taken care of, it's really hard to meet our own needs. And we really have to face that head on because it's so necessary to living a life. And that is... Truly not to say you're not doing enough because we're all trying really fucking hard. But maybe the things you're doing could be done in an easier way. Maybe they could be done in a different way. You know, if what you're doing is not working, perhaps try something else. The definition of madness, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So if you're not able to have alone time in your day, first think of the easiest solution, which is to ask a loved one to help you with your needs. If it's that you can't take time off work, ask for time off work anyway. Ask if there are sick days you can take. Consider the options that exist. And then if those options don't work, what is the next solution? Is it finding a new job? That may also have a lot of complications. You have to follow that trail down to the point where you can actually get your needs met. Because that's the bottom line of living. We have to get our needs met. I hear all that. I, I, I hear the need to really evaluate and, like you said, be honest about what's there and about what we're committing to and and actually make alone time a priority. I think most people might say, oh, I should, ha- I should have more alone time, which is different than I really want to have more alone time and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, set boundaries, prioritize time, ask for help, make a structured activity that means I just have to be alone. When I started practicing witchcraft more concretely, folk magic more concretely, as in doing it rather than just thinking about it, that has given me many, many opportunities to be alone because I'm being kind of a weirdo. (laughs) I'm taking my offering out to the woods and I'm like whispering to a plant. I would like to not be observed when I'm doing that. So. And and my spiritual practice is really important to me and solitude is the foundation of my spiritual practice. When I am not getting time alone, I am not doing my magic the way that I need to be and I am completely out of alignment. So I don't think that 
we have to perform solitude to be more magical people. But I do think we need to meet our basic fucking needs to be magical people. Absolutely. And if you don't even have the sensory rest of solitude, then you're not going to be well enough to access magic or embody your witchcraft in a way that is pleasing and helpful and productive for your life. I mean, just even thinking of it as sensory rest, I think, can give us a lot of permission. I've been able to talk busy parents into uh, taking time for themselves on the weekend when I have framed it as sensory rest. Your nervous system can only take so much. You are so stressed and so reactive and you are acting in ways that feel out of alignment for you. I need you to treat this like medicine. You may not like it. It may be like bitter medicine for you to be alone, but this is a practice. Witchcraft is a practice. It's not a belief system. It's something that you do. It's a craft. And teaching ourselves how to be alone, learning about ourselves, figuring out what our alone self likes to do. I think one of the bigger risks is that we figure out what it likes to do and then we don't really want to reintegrate with society because we know how to meet all our own needs. Well, and that is so (laughs) often a fear that keeps people from trying it. I know Yeah, I was in a meditation class once and it was the first meditation class that I have really ever taken. And I was thinking, going into it, what if, like I was thinking very consciously, what if I get to a place where my relationship with my spouse doesn't work anymore because I do this self-work? What if I know what it's like suddenly wake up this part of myself that says, nope, it's not working and we have to change everything. What if that happens again? I don't want that to happen. And I was like, whatever, 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 I'm going to do this class. And in the like Q&A afterwards, the teacher's like, you know, does anybody have any like fears that are coming up? And this woman next to me is like, I'm afraid that I'm going to leave my husband if I work on myself. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And the teacher said, yeah, I know that feeling. Because that might happen. (laughs) And like, yeah, it might. If you like yourself enough, you might notice that the things in your life aren't working. Yeah, if you fully meet yourself, you might realize that a lot of the people around you aren't able to meet you. Yeah, and that is scary. How fair to be terrified of that because you do love the people in your life. It's scary to think that you could get to a place where loving somebody isn't enough, right? But that is true. Love is not enough. It's not. Yeah. It's great and it's necessary. And we don't heal alone either. We heal in relationship. Most of us are carrying relationship wounds, which means that solitude is not enough to heal relationship wounds. But also relationships are not enough to heal relationship wounds, especially self-abandonment wounds like teaching the parts of myself that I had abandoned and neglected to trust me again has taken quite a long time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, you know, this nuance to what we're talking about here. We're talking a lot about needs and that is really important. It is important to know that these are needs. And I feel like if something is a need, it does give us almost an out out of owning what mm-hmm. we want. Mm-hmm. If we say, well, this is a need. I am horribly ill and so I need to take time off. That's understandable. In modern capitalistic society, we're not really allowed to say, I want to go take care of myself so that my yeah. life stays good. It yeah. has to be a crisis in order to address it. And in fact, that is so fucking unhealthy. But it's what's socially acceptable. So part of this practice is also being socially unacceptable, very honestly. Mm, I love that you said that. You're right. You're right. I mean, a lot of my work, especially with busy parents, is teaching them about their basic needs. So solitude is a very needs-based thing. And in my personal life, no, I don't need to be alone this much. I want to be alone this much. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I fucking like it. I like living alone. I like having my own space. I am resourced and privileged enough to be able to have that. And I think that I owe it to myself and the people in my life and the people that I help as a psychotherapist to be doing the things that feel good to me. It's so cool that I can meet my basic needs. It's absolutely amazing that I can do so much more than that. I can meet my desires. And also, I only know my desires because I've had solitude time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
One of my very favorite practices for solitude, um, I think it is second only to therapy in terms of what it does for your mental health, is journaling. Mm -hmm. Just spending a little bit of time putting your mind at the center of your being, like just focusing on what you're thinking about. It doesn't even matter what it is. I've... I've noticed that the periods in my life where I have journaled every single day or done morning pages, because it's the same fucking thing, I am the most mentally well out of any part of my life because I'm evaluating what's happening in my day, I'm processing really actively, and I'm processing alone. So I'm not getting those more biased takes from the people around me. Um, And I'm able to hear people's opinions without relying on them. I can include them as a consideration rather than, you know, the basis of what I think about my life. And that Mm -hmm. has been a really important tool. It's also a really great way to just start taking steps back into self-care and into mental health and also into magic. Journaling is necessary for us to be in touch with our magical selves because it's Mm -hmm. a communication with oneself. If you're not writing down your thoughts, it's really hard to know what you're thinking. Yeah, yes. I love that you shared that because I have this like, it's not a counterpoint, but like a a balancing to that is that the, I think I did morning pages for about six months because we were doing that for the podcast. And I felt so mentally ill (laughs) doing morning pages. You're like, it made me feel so mentally well. It made me feel so mentally ill, not because it wasn't helping me, but because there was things I was not looking at and I didn't want to look at because they meant that if I looked at them, I would have to change absolutely everything. Mm. And I was so scared. But after six months of essentially the same journal entry every morning <laughs> about how miserable my life and relationship and uh, creative practice had become, mm-hmm. I had no option but to change. Yeah. So I... I'm so grateful for the mental illness that bubbled up in that solitude and in that self-reflection because I really did have to do the underworld journey, like how that got tied in there. Mm -hmm. Did did the card. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Uh, I love that. I love tying in that card. I just, the song Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson is just playing in my head right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Um. (laughs) I think that makes sense. I mean, even in, I think it's week eight, she says, the author, Julia Cameron of uh, The Artist's Way, says, in this like one week, you're going to feel mad doing these journal entries because this is the point where you've talked about all the bullshit and now the real shit is coming up. This is all a paraphrasing. She doesn't say shit at all. I wish she did. I wish she was like, this is the real bullshit. It's going to come up, bitches. You ready? Here comes the nasty shit. I I would probably have completed the course if she had talked that way to me. Take a spiritual dump in your journal. Um, Yeah, it does bring up a lot. And I I also want to say, you know, if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, exactly, Amber. I don't want to see myself writing how miserable I am every day. What the fuck good is that going to do? You know what Amber did? She got real annoyed with all of the things that were coming up and she changed her whole fucking life. And now she lives in the most beautiful cabin you've ever seen. And she's in love with also the most beautiful person you've ever seen. And Amber is clearly this fucking stunner with the most luxurious ass in the world. Like she's got a good ass life. She's got a new car. She's got her little pug son, you know, she's making her dreams come true. So if you don't identify what's not working, how the fuck are you going to fix it? And so maybe it is scary to see that you're not happy okay, I have this thing I say, and I want you to take it so deeply into your heart, everybody. Be scared, do it anyway. So what if it's scary? Who cares? You're going to die. Just do it. Absolutely. That's where I've, I love that. 
that's where I've come as a psychotherapist. Like when I get a new client and they're like, I'm really depressed. I'm like, cool, be depressed and do your tarot. Be anxious and do it anyway. A lot of times people come into therapy like, all right, I need to work on the depression. I need to work on the anxiety. I'm like, cool, the depression and anxiety are just going to keep doing their thing. Um, let's do something that feels good to you. <laughs> that, that will actually create some balance in your life. Yeah. We're always going to be feeling so many things at once, right? Even in the deepest griefs of our life where we are sobbing in that animal way that only happens with the most horrid parts of being a human, we still have moments where we laugh our asses off and we feel joy and we feel adrenaline and maybe they're shorter lived than usual. But everything lives simultaneously. We can be scared and we can be anxious and we can be depressed and we can still have beautiful lives, even if they're fucking hard. But the thing is, if you're putting in the work that is curiosity and seeing what can change, what can be different, what isn't working, then you're going to get to expand on those joys. You're never going to get rid of the hard parts. They're always going to be there but you can make bigger and bigger joyful pieces of your life. And that is so worth the pain. You can never truly be alone in this life. We are only ever with ourselves. Yeah, that's true. That's true, baby genius. Boom roasted. Boom roasted. I wonder if we have any new reviews. I hope so. I doubt it. Um, But they would be new since September. So if we have anything since September... Like September All on. right, I'm looking. It's like, these bitches never make a podcast anymore. Let's see. Um, oh, I think this is new November 30th. Great, that's new. Best spiritual podcast. This podcast is educational and funny and covers so many important topics. I love listening to it, and I've learned so much about life and myself in the first few episodes. Great listen. Thank you. We love we appreciate that. appreciate you. What's their username? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um... I don't know. Nessa Nessa say sa save do three. Nessa say Yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's older there's older ones that we haven't read. So I'll kinda scroll through those before we record again and figure out what they are because I think it's really fun to have your favorite podcasters read your review. And I want to yeah. re- read the reviews that we've missed. And I assume if you're listening that we're your favorite. Even if you're listening because you hate us, we're not your favorite. I declared it and it's true. There you go. Done. <laughs> I reject that evil eye and I make it a gold star. There we go. That's called Stick transmutation. <laughs> yeah, that's magic. <laughs> magic. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we haven't come up with a new podcasting schedule yet, but the plan is more. We would like to do more. I think we both have energetic space for more. And mm-hmm. while we're figuring it out, we love your patience. We also... Just want to let you know, this isn't going anywhere. Even in the moments where we don't check in for a few months, it's always coming back. Trust that we are like the tide. We're never gone. Yes, we are never gone because our relationship isn't gone. Yeah. And we talked about this on Patreon. It's, you know, where we're headed with that is like for the moment, we're going to adjust what those tiers are. And if people want to keep giving to Patreon, they're welcome to. If it doesn't feel like it's worth it to you, then just don't. Like, yeah. it's okay. Like, neither of us are subsisting on our Patreon income for this podcast, and yeah. it's important to both of us that people feel like they're getting what they need, um, including not paying us. It's okay. So yes. there's more information on Patreon about that if you want to listen. And if you are a new listener, there is a ton of content over there. If you want even more of the show while we're, you know, less consistently posting, um, I... It's absolutely worth the money if you feel like it's worth the money. And we will continue to make Patreon content. We just want you to know that our expectations about our performance on a schedule are shifting. And we want to be really transparent about that. Um, And of course, we love to see you on Patreon. We have a more direct connection with people that way. And Mm -hmm. it's lovely, but it's not necessary. So however it feels good for you to be in relationship to us, let's do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yeah, we did it. We, we dibbed it is how we say that. Um, we dibbed it. (laughs) 
because we're we our children selves get to come out and play together. Um, so we dipped it, and I can't wait for whatever our next episode is. I bet you have like a whole fucking list of things you want to talk about because you're so organized. I do. Yeah, I do. I'm very hyper, and I have um, sometimes, and I do have a lot of ideas. So we will be bringing those ideas to fruition, and we hope to see you there. Can't wait for it. Uh, keep those brooms all the way up. All the way the fuck up. If I see those brooms down, we will never make another fucking podcast again. Put them up. Keep them up. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you soon, witches. Have a beautiful end of January. Oh, my God. But Okay, great. Happy 2023. Time is not real. Bye. Boom. 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 Boom